Good morning. How are you? Hey, there you are. It's good to see you guys. Glad that you are here today. Hey, before we jump in, uh, and as those offering baskets are being passed, we'll let you know about something that's coming up in just a few weeks. I'd love for you to be a part of. Uh, it's our parent conference. Uh, we haven't done these, uh, one of these in a while, uh, but this is going to be happening on Sunday, February the 5th, one day, three hours. All right. So this is just a, a quick conference uh, on a topic that many of us need help in. I'm a parent myself now, uh, and I'm constantly getting into new stages and going, what do I I do next. And so look, don't let this pass you by. Don't say, oh, that's a great idea. I should probably go and then not come. You, you need to come and you need to go ahead and sign up for that. Uh, here's what it'll look like over those three hours. We're going to have uh, at least one kind of main session with Randy Hemphill, uh, who's going to do a lot, just walking us through just the different seasons uh, of a children's life. Uh, but then we're going to have breakouts. And we've got five or six really exciting breakouts with people who are literally experts in their field that you can pick and say, okay, this is what I'm needing in this stage for me. So whether you've got a young one, you've got a toddler, uh, or you've got a teenager, and everywhere in between, man, there's something for you. And so don't miss this. Sunday, February 5th, uh, 3 to 6 p.m. right here on the Mount Laurel campus. Uh, you can use that QR code to sign up. You can go up to doublecc.org slash parenting. You can sign up there too. But put this on your calendar. Make your plans to be here one, one day, Sunday afternoon, February the 5th. And just as another final tag, uh, we have yet another conference coming up this weekend. Our men's conference is this weekend. We already got a ton of you guys signed up. Uh, but if you did not hear last week about signing up at an appropriate time, now is that appropriate time. Go ahead and sign up. Uh, we've still got space for you. We would love for you to come on. This is going to be Friday night and Saturday morning. We're going to be finishing up uh, around 1 p.m. on Saturday. And you'll be back down to the 4-H Center uh, in Columbiana. But I'm very excited about this. It's going to be a lot of fun. Make sure you sign up. We would love to see See you there. Uh, but now grab your Bibles, if you will. Let's go to John chapter 13, verse 1. John chapter 13, verse 1 is where we're going to be in just a moment. Hopefully you've got a copy of God's word there with you or maybe a device. If you don't, I'm sure the person next to you will be glad to share with you. Uh, John chapter 13, uh, verse 1. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Gospels. We're going to be in John chapter 13, verse 1, in, as well as a few other places here in just a moment. While you guys are turning there, and I love to hear those pages flipping, love it. Uh, while you guys are turning there, uh, I, let me ask you a question. Uh, who is the most loving person that you know? Like when I ask that question, who immediately pops into your mind? Who is the most loving person that you know? Uh, you may have come up with mom, right? Maybe it's dad. Maybe it's your spouse. It might be a, a sibling, a, a friend, a, a mentor. Uh, who, who is it that you would just say, this is the most loving person that you know? And if I came up to you, and I promise I won't do this, but if I came up to you and said, okay, who is it? Tell me why. Why is this person the most loving person that you know? I, I bet I know most of what your answer is going to be. You're going to tell me how that person has loved you. You're going to give me examples. You're going to say, well, they've done this for me, or they did that for me, or they made this sacrifice for me. But, but you're going to tell me an action. What you're probably not going to tell me is how they feel. Well, this person just feels a whole lot of love. This person just feels very loving. This person just feels like a, like a very loving kind of person because that's not how true love gets expressed. We feel it, sure, but true love is always expressed in actions. And it's very important because we have a lot of people today who like to talk a lot about love. In fact, we, we post about our love and how we feel and all these different things. But true love is not simply how we feel. It is how we act. True love flows out of us into the real world in real 
action. And that, that word action has a name. It's called service. If we love people, we will end up serving one another. If you've been with us this past couple weeks, you know that we are going on a journey as a church. We are rebuilding as a congregation. We get a lot of new people here at Double Oak. Uh, You might be new here or back from being gone for a little while. And so we've got a a new configuration of people. So we're we're going back to our roots of saying, okay, so what kind of community are we building? What are we looking for? There's three things we've been talking about. A couple weeks ago, we found out that we are a biblical community. We are built on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are not just a group of like-minded people who like to hang out together. No, we have been changed, transformed by Jesus. And we live not based on our opinions or our likes, but based on his word and his teachings. He defines us. He commands us. And we build our community on the life, death, resurrection, and the teachings of Jesus Christ. We are a biblical community. Last week, we found out that we're also a loving community. We are not meant to simply be a crowd. We're meant to be a family, which means that you should know people. If you spend time in this congregation, after a number of months, you should not feel like this is not your place. You ought to feel like it's your place, that you are known and you know other people. We love actual real people in real time. There are real relationships built between us and we love one another. You can see that in our community groups and all the different ways that we want to interact. Even as we uh, greet one another at the beginning of the service, we want you to actually get to know people. Why? We want to be a loving community. But this week, we find out our third value, and these all correspond to our core values. You see them outside. We are a serving community. If we're going to be a community of Jesus Christ, then we must be a serving community. I want to show you that in the text today. So look at John chapter 13, verse 1. Uh, this is where we were two weeks ago, last night before Jesus is crucified. Jesus does an extended amount of teaching. He has the last supper with them. But there's another incident that doesn't get talked about as much. Look what he says in, in verse 1 of chapter 13. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, if you're familiar with the story of Jesus Christ, you're probably thinking, yeah, I know what he means by that. He's going to go and give his life on the cross for us. And he does do that. But there's another act he performs before that. And then the next verses, after verse 1, Jesus is going to wash his disciples' feet. There's no servant there. Jesus has made sure of that. He goes and dresses like the servant and then gets on his hands and knees and washes the dirty feet of his disciples. This makes them very uncomfortable. And after he has done this for every single one of them, including Judas, skip down to verse uh, 12, if you will, and look what it says. John 13, verse 12. It says, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, You also ought to wash one another's feet. I've given you an example that you should go and do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus gives this example here. He says, I want you to go and serve. I want you to love one another, not just with your feelings, But in real time, 
in actual acts of service, I want you to go and serve. So if we are to be a community of Jesus Christ, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, then we must be a serving community. He has commanded us to go and do likewise. So if we are going to be his people, we must be a serving community. So how do we do that? How do we actually become a serving community? How do you cultivate that in a real group of people like us? Well, before we actually even get to what we do, we have to get to the motivation. Why should we serve? What's the motivation behind our service? And for that, you can go back up to verse one. And what we find is our motivation to serve comes from the love of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 13, uh, chapter 13, verse one, rather. He says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the uttermost. Jesus says, I love you more than you can possibly understand. This is our motivation for service. The reason that we serve is because you and I have been served by the Lord God himself. This is one of the most scandalous things I can possibly tell you. Like really drink this in. Because what Jesus is saying is this. Before you go and wash somebody else's feet, please understand this. I've washed yours. Do you know what that means for us? It means that the God of the universe has washed your feet. Let that sink in. It sounds weird saying it out loud, doesn't it? The God of the universe has washed your feet. I begin to understand why Peter reacted the way he did in the verses that we didn't read. Peter's like, no, 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 don't do that. No, Jesus, you're not supposed to do that. Up, 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 off your hands and knees. I'll wash your feet, but you don't do that. Jesus says, no, Peter, I, I do. I love you. And before you'll ever be able to serve one another, before you'll ever be able to do what I've asked you to do, you have to receive my love for you. We are overwhelmingly, passionately loved By the God of the universe. If you and I can humble ourselves enough simply to receive this. It's hard to receive it. To recognize that I I am unclean. I do need to be clean. And I cannot clean myself up. And that the God of the universe laid aside everything that is rightfully his. Out of love for you. Out of love for me. He gives up everything to come down and wash my feet. To cleanse my sins. To save my soul. That is the love that will transform us and turn us into a loving community. Look, look, a lot of people, when they hear this, we need to be a serving community. We all go, yes, we should. And we we have these grand ideas, but what typically comes from a a different motivation. We serve people because we think we should, right? Somebody like me talked to you and you said, well, I'm supposed to, so I, I guess I should do that. Or maybe you got guilted into it. We could do it that way. I could just guilt you into this, right? You know that, right? I mean, I could. It's very easy. It's not hard to guilt people into it, right? I'd show you, I'd tell you a sad story. I'd show you some sad pictures. I'd play a sad Sarah McLaughlin song. I'd put that on there. And then you'd go do it, right? You'd go, and you would go, right? But here's the deal. Guilt only gets you so far. Sooner or later, you stop feeling guilty and then you stop serving. Guilt can only push you a certain amount uh, down the road. God says, I don't want you to do this out of guilt. I don't want you to do this out of obligation or even duty. But in response to the amazing love that God has given to me, 
I then want to give and love and serve other people in the same way that I have been loved. If you have not received and been transformed by this incredible love, it's going to be very hard for us to follow Jesus's command to go and do likewise. But don't mistake this. It is a command. I love what Jesus does here. He says, you guys call me master and Lord and you're right. Did you catch that? I love how he's not falsely humble about that. He's not sitting there going, you know, I'm just like you guys. I'm just like one of y'all. I've been traveling with y'all. I mean, I'm, I'm just like y'all. He's like, I'm not. I'm not like you. You call me master. I am master. You are the servant. I give commands. You obey. I'm the rabbi. You listen. I teach. You listen. This is not a reciprocal relationship. God says, I am your master. I am your teacher. And if I'm the master and the teacher and I'm down here washing feet, you got to do the same. If you're my students, if you're my children, you got to do the same. We must become a serving community because this is what God has called us to do. We are his people and must follow likewise. But remember, it all starts with the love of God. I beg of you, meditate on the vast, amazing love of God. If you have a problem with this, if you, if you, you don't feel yourself drawn to service, don't start with forcing yourself into service. Start with the love of God. Ask God to reveal to you just the depths of the magnitude of his love for you and see if this does not spur us on to love and good deeds. But it all starts with the love of God. But as we are being transformed by the love of God, there are three ways we can actually live this out in reality. Three ways we can express this. And they are these. We can love those inside the church in word and deed. We can love those outside of the church in deed. And we can love those outside of the church in word. And we've got to do all three of these things. There's different ways we do all three. So let's walk through. First off, what do we do? We love those inside the church in word and deed. The place where we express this first is right here in this congregation with the very real people that you were sitting next to right now. This should not be a room of strangers in a little while. And if God is putting you here at Double Oak, he's saying, hey, these are the actual real live human beings I want you to serve. Let me show you this in Ephesians chapter four, uh, verses 11 through 16. If you're a longtime Double Oak uh, member, these, these verses ought to be, you ought to have them memorized by now. You ought to just kind of be able to say them with me. We get our three core values from this passage, uh, but we, we talk about these verses a lot. Listen to what Paul says. He says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Hopefully you saw our two previous values in these verses. First off, we want to be a biblical community. You ought to be able to tell what is good theology and bad theology. You ought to be able to tell what's good teaching and bad teaching, good doctrine and bad doctrine. We ought to be growing in that, discerning in that. Why? Because we're a biblical community. Secondly, we're a loving community. We're to be drawn together in the unity of the faith. 
We're supposed to be building one another up. We are a body together, right? So we're supposed to love one another. We speak the truth in love. We build ourselves up in love. But then finally, we find ourselves serving. And that service starts right here uh, in the congregation. Go back up one slide and look at verse uh, 11 there, or verse 12, rather. It says, to equip the saints... For the work of ministry. Now, this is interesting. Look at this. He gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherds, and teachers. You might be reading that list and going, all right, there's the church staff. It's their job. It's their job to go and do the ministry, right? That's why we have pastors on staff. That's why we have a whole staff of people to help. Isn't it their job to do the ministry? No, you're given apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. The ministry is to be done by... All of us. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we are all ministers in our own right. God wants all of us to be doing the work of ministry. You have all of these, uh, these offices, these, these helpers to equip the entire church for ministry. So this isn't for some of us. This is for all of us. We have a role to play in serving to do the work of ministry. But then go down to verse 16 and notice what it says here. Uh, It says, uh, verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul gives us this metaphor that he actually uses in multiple places. He does it again in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Remember the recalcitrant uh, Corinthians from last week, right? The delinquent Corinthians. He gives them a whole chapter exploring this idea of like the church is a body. But he brings it back up here to the Ephesian church as well. He says, look, the church is just like our body. We are made up of hundreds of different, very unique, very uh, individual parts. But they are connected, all of them in a very particular way to serve a one common body. All of us are here together in one body. And so if this is true, here's what flows from that. If, if what Paul is saying is correct about us as the church, then we need to understand this. You are designed to function in a larger whole. You are designed to function in a larger whole. As believers, we are not spiritually self-sufficient. God did not build us to be standalone Christians. It's not simply about your own personal walk with the Lord. That's great and all, but you were designed, just like every single body part we have, we are designed to work with other body parts. You must be connected to other parts of the body. God has given you a gift and that gift is not for you. It's meant to serve the rest of the body. God has designed this church. He's doing it right now as he rebuilds us. He's putting people in place with certain giftings so that together we can all do the ministry of the church. It is not okay for us to say, yeah, but Adam, I don't need the whole church. I just need a few people. I just need my little group and that's all I really need. These are the only people I really want to want to work on. Maybe it's just my family or it's just a a few believers, but that's all I need. That'd be like my muscles getting together and saying, hey, we're just for the muscles. We don't need anybody else. The nerves saying, hey, I'm just here for the nervous system. I'm tired of all that blood and gut stuff. We're just here for the nerves. The brain going, hey, I just want to think about things. I don't care about all that physical stuff. Well, that would be, uh, that would be terrible because all of these systems depend on one another to actually function. You take any one or most of them out. You don't have a body anymore. Anybody who says, I don't need to be a part of a local church to have a relationship with Christ has not read their Bible. 
It is impossible to be a fully functioning believer in Jesus Christ and not be connected to a local body of believers. Can't happen because we were designed to be a part that's connected to a greater whole. Here's the second thing. You and I are healthiest when we're serving. We are healthiest when we're serving. God made us as body parts and he says, you've got a function. I want you to use that function. I want you to go and serve. I want you to use this gift. Just like Jesus, he says, hey, listen, I am serving. This is what I do. If God made us to be like him, then we are healthiest when we are serving. I've heard a lot about self-care over the past 10 years. You heard this term? I'm hearing a lot now. Need some self-care, all right? Need lots of self-care. And guess what? Take care of yourself, all right? Don't let yourself go to see. Take care of yourself. But sometimes what we're dealing with is not self-care. We're dealing with selfish desires. That's what's happening. And we just say, I don't, you know, I just want to be here for a few years before I actually serve. Tough. You get two weeks. Jump in, all right? (laughs) Two weeks is a nice vacation. Enjoy your vacation. Now, what are you going to do? Time to jump in. You got a role to play. God put you here to be a part of the body and we need you. Every part is needed. You can't live on four or five body parts. You've got, you need every part fulfilled. So how, how can you do this? How could you actually do this in this particular congregation? What would that actually look like? Well, there's a lot of different ways uh, that you can do this. First off, you can help uh, just train up our next generation. You can help us serve our preschoolers, our children, and our students. Every single week, we've got all kinds of opportunities for you to love and serve our kids, whether they be preschoolers, students, uh, or children. Uh, We need folks to teach them on Sunday mornings. We need mentors uh, for our teenagers. We need chaperones to go on youth trips. We we need people helping out with the kids' musical that we talked about earlier. We need people on Sundays. We need people on Wednesdays. We need people to pour in and to love these kids, to teach them the Bible. I bet most of you in this room know more than they do about the Lord, and you can pass that on to them. You can empower them. You can teach them love them, help them. We need so many people every single week to be pouring into the next generation of believers. You can help us out in your community group. If you're a part of a community group, you need more than just a leader. If you're a part of a group, don't put everything on your community group leader. Man, we need everyone to play a part. You can help organize people for service. You might be a facilitator more than a teacher. You might say, Adam, I can run the prayer request. I want to help make sure prayer is a lifeblood of what we do. I want to organize just being hospitable and making sure new people feel welcome and connecting them and staying connected with our group. There's so many ways you can get connected right inside your own community group. Sunday mornings, you can help here. It takes a lot of people to pull off Sunday morning. Guys, this is one of, if not the most important gathering we have all week. It's the only time we gather collectively as the entire church. But every morning we need lots of people. We need greeters at the door to welcome people in as they come in. We need ushers to kind of guide people to your seats. You're not, you know, kind of stuck here up on the front row with me. I mean, it happens, right? I mean, look, I mean, you you need somebody to actually love you, help you, show you where to go, to be on our connections team. Maybe you say, hey, I want to help new people know where to go and walk them to the next spot. We need people to work the coffee bar so you can have coffees. You can be alert enough to listen to this sermon. We need people on our tech team. Look, I can't do anything here without the amazing people on our tech team right there back at the booth that help us every single week. Steve needs people on the worship team to help us there. There's so many different ways you can serve on a Sunday morning. It doesn't take a lot. They say, I want to be a part of what is going on here. Midweek, we've got opportunities as well. Double Oak University is starting up. We need teachers for Double Oak University. We need servers who are helping us there. People to help us out with our kids and our students and our preschoolers for Wednesday night training, helping them learn the Bible, helping them learn about the music. 
just walking through the Bible together. We have so many midweek opportunities on Wednesdays. Then there's men's Bible studies, women's Bible studies. We need teachers and leaders for these as well. You've got opportunities throughout the week. In addition to that, we've got the offices of elder and deacon. It could be that over the course of the next 10 years, God might call you to say, hey, I need you to step up and serve in one of these official offices. Beyond that, we've got teams. We've got a personnel team. We've got a finance team. We have got a missions team. We've got a facilities team. And we need lay people, folks like you, to be on these teams to help us do all the work of the church so that we're not just a Sunday morning gathering, but we let the Lord move through us to build the kingdom of God, both here, locally, nationally, and internationally. Guys, I cannot do that by myself. The staff can't do it by ourselves. We need everybody using their gift. And so where can you serve? Where's your role? Look, this might be a trial and error kind of thing. Take six months. Try a couple things. If you don't like it, you can quit. We will not lock you into a 10,000-year contract. Promise, okay? You don't like to quit, but find your place of service. But listen, once you do that, here's the cool thing. Once you start serving using your gift, guess what happens? You receive everyone else's gifts. You give your one gift in your one way. You get back hundreds of gifts from everybody else. You just receive that from the congregation. How amazing. But let me ask you a question. Uh, how do you feel about that? When you hear that you are going to get served by the rest of the church, how do we react to that? Because for some of us, uh, that's going to reveal how we really think about church. You see, we react to, to being served in different ways. Um, if you or I go into a business this week, we expect to be served, do we not? Like if I go to Best Buy this week, I'm going to walk in and I'm going to expect to be served. I'm looking for stuff and there's this unwritten social contract that we employ when we go into a business, right? I may or may not want their stuff. They absolutely want my money, right? So we're going to go in and dance, right? I'm going to go in, I'm going to ask a question and I expect them to serve me to say, yes, we have that thing. It's right over here. Come with me. And they're going to show this to me in the hopes that I'm going to like it. I'm going to take it up to the front and I'm going to give them money and take their thing. They're happy. I'm happy. And we're all good, right? But I'm expecting them to serve me. Here's what I'm not expecting. I'm not expecting them to say, hey, before you go, could you stock a few shelves for me? How would you feel if they asked you to do that? Hey, could you stock a couple of shelves before you go? I'm going to look at them and go, No. No, I cannot. That is your job, right? You do that. I came to get my stuff and now I'm going to go. You're being paid to do that. I'm, I'm going to leave now. Okay. Right. Because that's not what we're doing when we walk in. I expect to be served, to get my stuff, to pay for it, and then to leave. But now imagine you go over to a friend's house for dinner. When you and I go over to somebody's house for dinner, we will inevitably be served, right? They've probably cooked the dinner for you. They probably cleaned up the house for you. They're going to say, please make yourself at home. But, but in, invariably that you are going to end up being served if you go over to a friend's house for dinner. But imagine now that that friend asks you for help. How do you respond? If they say, hey, man, could you, could you toss this salad for me? Hey, hey, could you grab those chairs and could you move them over here so we can all sit? Hey, hey man, could you go out to the garage and grab this for me? I'm thrilled to. I am happy to. Yes, absolutely. What else can I do? How can I help? Far from feeling weird, I'm glad for the opportunity. I'm glad to step in and help. I'm glad, I'm thrilled that I am being served, but I am happy to serve because these are my friends and I love them and they love me. So here's my question. When you walk in and walk out of a church, which is it for you? Is this a business or are these your friends? Do you expect to be served? 
and you're feeling upset that I'm telling you that you need to serve in a congregation, then what that lets you know is, is your picture of church is off because this isn't a business. It's a family. And in a family, we all help one another because we love one another. And so we serve one another. So if you're a part of our congregation, I pray that all of you would jump in with us. You got to find a place to serve. So we start by loving those inside the congregation in word and deed. Second thing we do is this. Uh, We love those outside the congregation in deed. We love those outside of the congregation uh, in deed. We, We can never contain the love of God inside our congregation. If God is truly moving in us and his love is being poured into us, we can't keep that among ourselves. This is not just for people like us, but for people outside of our congregation who do not always believe the way that we do, who may never believe the way that we do. We need to love them as well. This is the lab. This is the starting point. The showcase, if you will, where we practice how to do this, but also in other places where it really happens all the time. We love one another, but then we take that out into the world. Remember what we learned last week. Jesus gives us this command. He's the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor. This teaching shows up everywhere in scripture. Jesus talks about it in the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about it in parables. Uh, Both Peter and James and uh, Paul will all reference this command from Jesus. Love your neighbor. But what does he mean by that? Well, thankfully, somebody asked him. Look at this. Uh, This is in Luke chapter 10. This is the the parable of the Good Samaritan. Some of you might be familiar with this. And listen to what he says. This lawyer says, but this lawyer, desiring to justify himself, says to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay whenever I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and you do likewise. When it comes to defining our neighbor, Jesus does not limit this to simply people we like. He purposefully extends it to people that we don't. He says, it's the people we live around, the people that we encounter, whether you know them or not. At the center of this story, he puts a Samaritan. Samaritans were considered by Jews to be half-breeds, heretics. They did not like one another. Jesus makes them the star of the show, as opposed to the Levite or the priest, the supposedly religious people. He does this because the lawyer, if you remember at the beginning, he's, he's trying to work it out. All right, you said love my neighbor. Who are we talking about here? All right, how, how many million neighbors I got I to love? Uh, who exactly is that? How many people do I have to do before I get, get into heaven? He's trying to justify himself. You can see the intent of his heart. The intent of his heart is not to love his neighbor. The intent of his heart is legalism. It's how do I work the system? How do I make this work out for me? How do I do what's best for me? When Jesus says, I don't want you thinking about you. I want you to love your neighbor. 
When it comes to loving those who are not believers, loving uh, the folks who are our literal neighbors or people just out in, the, in, our, in our workaday life, we can never treat them like projects. People pick up on that. You ever notice that? Does everyone try to treat you like a project? They go, I'm going to make it my job to fix you. You ever do that? If that's you thinking about your spouse, stop it, right? That's a whole other sermon. All right, so look, people don't like to be treated like projects. When it comes to loving people outside the faith, we can't say, do this because they're a project. Uh, you're my project, and now I'm going I'm to win you to the Lord. We also can't do this just to check a box and say, well, Jesus told me, so I got to do it like the lawyer. I, I got to do this thing, and so I, I guess I better do that. As if you got to do your good deed for the day. You remember, you remember this phrase? I did my good deed for the day. I hate this phrase. It took me a while to figure out why I hate this phrase. I really don't. I realize I typically don't like people who say it. I don't. Because think about it. When somebody says, well, did my good deed for the day. Seriously? That's the only one you're going to do? Seriously? Your idea of a good day is you did one good deed? Nope. Time to go back being evil. <laughs> time to go back to the bad things. You know what? Time to th- do some self-care. Right? Time for me again. I did my one good deed for the day. How about we do good deeds all day? How about we do that? That's the heart of love. That's not thinking about checking a box or accomplishing a project, but says this person is in need and I want to go love and serve them. That's the heart of Jesus Christ. When God has filled our hearts with love, we look at people and say, I want to love them like Jesus loves them. I want to help them like Jesus wants to help them in the same way that he helped me and washed my feet. I want to wash their feet. And so we have to love our brothers, or not our brothers, just we have to love people out in the world regardless of who they are, regardless of what they believe, regardless of whether they like us or not. We must choose to love in the same way that Jesus loves us. How do you do that? We're not always going to meet people on the side of the road like the Samaritans. So what does that look like? There's lots of different ways uh, that we can do that. First off, we have mission trips. You'll be hearing more about those in the next few weeks. But every single year, uh, we take mission trips, uh, both locally, nationally, internationally. We've got different opportunities, different ways to serve. But you can go to different areas to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, but also to serve in very practical ways. And at our expense, we want to go and love and serve in Jesus' name. But listen, you do not have to go out of town to do amazing work. There's a lot of different ways that you and I can volunteer and serve. We get a lot of groups right here inside of the church. Alabama Childhood Food Solutions was birthed right here uh, out of Double Oak uh, with Jim and Linda Jones. A lot of us go down to Sylacauga and we volunteer there. We say, hey, we want to help those who are food insecure right here in Shelby County. You've got opportunities to do that every week. Mending Hearts happens here at the church. We're helping those recovering from, from heart surgery at all of our major hospitals here in the area. But we learned early on there's no need for us to recreate the wheel. There's no need for us to multiply different ministries that other people are already doing. Instead, we want to partner with our brothers and sisters all over Birmingham who are doing incredible service. And so every year at Give United, we not only raise a lot of money to give to these organizations, but we encourage all of us to go and volunteer, to be a part. Uh, to discover what these groups are doing and find out maybe there's a place for for me to go and serve. And and look, there's so many different ways you can do this. If you go on our website and look at Give United and read about all of our Give United partners, all of them right here locally here in Birmingham, you'll see all the different ways you can serve, the types of people you can serve. In fact, look at this list here. Uh, If you go through our groups, you'll find this. You can help the impoverished and the homeless. 
You can help the hungry right here in our area. Those impacted by sex trafficking, that's right here in Birmingham. Those struggling with pornography addiction. Those dealing with chemical addiction issues. Those struggling with crisis pregnancies. Those fleeing domestic violence. Families dealing with pediatric cancer. Those who are in jail as well as those who have left jail and tried to reassimilate into society. And there are more. I mean, look, there's so many great organizations that we've been partnering with as we learn about the ministry that's happening right here in Birmingham. These are all places where you can go and participate. Bundles of Hope, I didn't even mention those, about, about helping out with all the uh, grabbing diapers and, and packaging those for people who can't afford them, delivering them to people. New red beans and rice, we could go on and on. There's so many different ways that we can serve. You don't have to do all of them. Find one and say, hey, I want to be a part. I want to serve in actual deeds. I don't want to just think about it. I want to actually do this. I want to love people in Jesus' name in real time. How are they going to know that we love them until they see this in action? So we must love those outside of the congregation in deed. And then thirdly, we serve those outside of the church in word. We serve those outside of the church in word. We are going to need to speak the gospel of Jesus Christ to people as we serve. Uh, words without deeds are meaningless, are they not? They're useless. Talk is cheap. We can say all about how we love, but if we don't actually back it up with action, people go, I don't believe that you actually love me. Here, the opposite is actually also true. Deeds without words are equally useless. Now think about that, because you might disagree with that. There would be people who would disagree with that. They would say, Adam, I don't know about that one. Uh, Look, words without deeds, I get. But deeds without words, at least you've helped them. At least you've done something practical. You've made their lives a little bit better. So do we really have to do all the religious stuff? Do we really have to say the name of Jesus Christ? Do we really have to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Can't we just go help and serve and be a helping hand? There are whole kind of mainline denominations who are leaning this direction. We're going, hey, we're going to kind of give up on the gospel and just do social justice causes. And listen, the original genesis of that is great. But if you don't get around to the gospel, it's utterly meaningless. Think about Lazarus for a moment. Jesus does this amazing miracle for his friend Lazarus. Lazarus dies. Jesus comes back to town and raises him from the dead. It was amazing. He does a practical act of good. He brings Lazarus back from the dead. But please understand, if that's all that Jesus does for Lazarus, it is ultimately meaningless. Because later on, guess what happened to Lazarus? He died again. And if Jesus Christ had not gone to the cross and died himself, conquered death, rose again, and then offered salvation, not on the basis of our works, but just out of grace and out of love for Lazarus and me and you and for everybody. If Jesus hadn't gone and died and risen again and offered this life to us, we would be lost, all of us. We would be doomed to pay the penalty for our own sin. We would be doomed, lost in the kingdom of darkness, destined for hell, death, and the grave. This is all of our destiny if it weren't for Jesus Christ. Yes, we must love indeed. We must practically love them, but we must also share the good news that nobody has to die. Anybody who calls upon the name of the Lord can and will be saved. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We get the greatest news ever to tell people you are loved. You are not forgotten. You can be accepted. You can be forgiven. No matter who you are, what you've done, you have a spiritual family you can be a part of and you can live eternally in Jesus Christ forever. What an amazing gift we get to be ambassadors of reconciliation. 
to take the gift of the gospel to people who desperately need it. And so as we serve in actual real time service, we must also speak the truth in love to say, man, I want you to know Jesus. I want you to be saved from your sins. I want you to experience eternal life. I want you to know the the joy of forgiveness and, and cleansing and transformation that comes in a Savior who will never leave me or forsake me. What an amazing opportunity God has given to us. And so I wonder if you and I are comfortable sharing our faith. We're gonna need to get comfortable. We must all get comfortable sharing our faith. Please hear me when I say this. There are more lost people in Birmingham, Alabama right now than in the history of this city ever. There are more lost people in Birmingham, Alabama right now than in the entire history of this city. That's the moment God's put us here for. Seriously. They're everywhere. You don't have to go across an ocean. They're right here among us. And so if that's the case, guys, we got to be willing to go and share the gospel. Can I tell you something else that's happened? Uh, for, for a long time, double oak people, if you look around, you might recognize uh, we've, been, we've been doing really well these past few weeks. But over the past year or so, we're, we're down from where we were pre-pandemic. We're smaller as a church than where we were pre-pandemic. That's not just us, by the way. This is everybody. I talk to a ton of pastors. I watch all the trends. I'm, I'm reading all the articles. This is nationwide. You can break down the demographics. It's very interesting at the end of that. But everybody is, is lower than that. What's interesting is most of those congregations are still very strong. Uh, their giving is still very strong, which is very interesting. How do you have more and better giving with fewer people? You can break that down how you will. But here's what, what you're finding out. You say, okay, then who left? Who, who left are, are, are all these churches? I think what's happened is, is we've had a lot of folks who used to come once a month. We had a lot of people who just came sporadically, who just decided not to come sporadically anymore. They didn't move. They still live around us. They're just not going anywhere. You might know some of them. You might have been that person last week. Welcome. Glad you're back. <laughs> Here's the thing. As we re-engage with these friends of ours who are in the community, can I ask you not to do something? Don't just invite them back to church. Don't. Because here's the thing. We don't just need to get our numbers back up. That's not the goal. The goal isn't to have the same numbers we used to have, to have a crowd like we used to have. Because if they weren't very engaged before, they won't be very engaged again. Before you invite them back to church, let's do this. Let's talk to them about a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's say, hey man, talk to me about your walk with Jesus. What's going on? Well, you know, I haven't been praying that much. Tell me why not. Ah, you know, I mean, I just grew up in church. Well, man, I mean, have you ever really known Jesus? I don't know what you're talking about. Well, can I tell you? What would happen if instead of inviting people back into culture, we just invited them back to Jesus? And we said, don't just come back and do what you used to do. How about you get to know Jesus more than you ever have? How about you experience the Savior in a way that you never have? How about you come and learn of him and live in him in a way that you never have? Don't just come back to church. Come to Jesus and let him be the one to transform you. Then when they will come back with you, They're going to come back as full brothers and sisters, engaged, ready to be a part, to serve one another, love one another, join arms with us as we love and serve Jesus Christ in this area. We ought to be praying for our friends and our neighbors, but we must be ready to share the gospel. Don't just bring them here and expect me to do it every Sunday. We're all going to have to get comfortable sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can help you. We can equip you. We can help each other. We've got to learn how to do this. So we love one another in this place. 
We love those outside of this place in true acts of service. And we speak the love of Jesus Christ to those uh, who are not here yet. This is how you create a serving community. So do this for me. Bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. Stephen's going to come and lead us in a song of worship as get ready to close. But with your heads bowed and eyes closed. Look, I don't know where you are today. Some of you, you might be on the fringes and say, I'm just trying to figure out what this place is. And I'm so glad you're here. My prayer for you is that the Lord would give you clarity. But if he's speaking to you and saying, and saying hey, this, this is it. This is your spot. This is the place I want you to be for this next chapter. Don't wait. Don't wait another two years. Don't put it off. Jump in. I say, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm in. What do I do? Where do I go? How do I get connected? Find your spot and let's find our place of service. Maybe you've been here a while. I say, Adam, everything changed and things are different. I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. It might be different than it was before. You're right. But what if you stepped up and said, okay, I'm in. Let me, let me try something new this time. But I need to serve. I, I can't wait for everybody else to do this. I, I got to do this. Where's your place of service? Get specific about it. I wonder if the Lord's been speaking to you about a, a way you can serve in our city. A particular group that the Lord's put on your heart, an opportunity for you to serve and love. Might even be scary to you. Don't put it off. Let's jump in. Make a phone call. Hey, can I come volunteer? Talk to us. We'll, we can help you get connected. And, and let's say, I, I want to serve. I want to be a part. Get your community group together. Do something. Say, we're going to love and serve the people of our area. And I wonder finally if maybe the Lord's putting a name on your heart right now because there's somebody you need to share the gospel with. It's a neighbor, it's a friend, it's a family member, coworker, somebody you, you interact with. And the Lord's saying, hey, I want you to build a relationship. Don't, don't check a box. Don't, don't find a project. Love them enough to talk to them about Jesus Christ and then help them to know him more. I wonder if the Lord might be putting a name on your heart and you can make a decision today to say, okay, Lord, if you'll help me, I'll go. I'll do what you say. What would happen if we truly became a serving community? Can you imagine what the Lord could do in this place? So Father, help us. I'm so thankful that you continue to help us to grow. You draw people here, new folks from all over the area to do new things. God, we're a new church than we were a few years ago. God, I'm excited to see how you, you configure us now. The new opportunities we have to serve one another, the new opportunities we have to serve our city, and the new opportunities we have to share the gospel. God, you put us here for such a time as this. You are the one who bind us together in you. And so for all these questions, Father, speak to us. We're listening. And Lord, we will follow after you. Thank you for the amazing humbling gift that you wash our feet and you love us more than we know. Father, may we be so overwhelmed by your love that we could not help but to pour that love out on our brothers and sisters and on the people of this area. I'm so grateful, Lord, for the church that you are building. So build us. In your name we pray.